Hello again. It's great to be back with you. Um, since the last time I was here, a, a good update um, is that we became a student organization at Lynchburg College. So now we're like official at Lynchburg College and official at Liberty and um, thankful for that. Thankful that we can do the multi-campus thing downtown and then have students um, from, from each of the campuses. And this semester I only have one intern, so she and I have sat down and made a pretty rigid calendar of how we can make multiple campuses work. Um, but I appreciate your prayers. Um, also appreciate your gifts, very generous gifts to RUF, um, and um, we're, we're grateful for that. This morning our scripture reading is Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is, he God, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us all here together. Some of us doing well. Uh, some of us not doing so well, and it was really hard to come to church. Um, I just pray, God, for each one of us um, that you would take our minds and our hearts, which can be slow to, to praise you and slow to think about you, um, slow to look into your word. I pray, God, that you would, would quicken them, that you would shine the light in our hearts where there is darkness so that we can see what you have to show us in Romans chapter 3 this morning. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of things that happen in October, right? Don't, the social calendar gets packed. Um, and one of the, the good things that I'm perhaps looking forward to is maybe a Cubs and Yankees World Series. 
Wouldn't that be? And the Cubs win. Uh, wouldn't that be great? Um, especially after Boston lost. Um, or maybe you're looking forward to the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. You've got a big party plan. Or maybe you've just got your costume and you're going trick-or-treating and you're looking forward to that. One uh, strange thing that I'm looking forward to, and I say strange because it's strange for a minister, and I'm not endorsing this, but I'm looking forward to the return of the walking dead. Is there, <laughs> is there anybody? <laughs> That's a TV show, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and it's a show. Here's why. Here's why. <laughs> Hear me out. Don't judge me. <laughs> it's a show that uses zombies in such a way that it depicts the struggle, the human struggle, the human condition. In other words, like it shows us what life is in a very broken world. Because though we don't have walking dead zombies walking around, we do have sickness, we do have illness, we do have sin, we have all this brokenness that we struggle against. And you see the characters, there's times in the show where they get surrounded by zombies <laughs> and you're like there's no way out they're going to die there's no way to go forward um and and it's like how will they survive well if you're reading the first few chapters of romans you might ask that same question let me uh paul paints a dark picture just like i just mentioned the dark show Paul paints a dark picture of the human condition, and it looks so dark that you wonder, could we survive? Like how messed up we are. He says every single person is under sin, not righteous, doesn't understand, doesn't seek God, doesn't do good. And in case that doesn't depress you, right? Their throat is an open grave. Use tongues to deceive and venom of snakes on their lips. Mouthful of curses and bitterness and no fear of God before their eyes. Um, it's a message like that. You think, how, how is there any hope? You know, if I said, we're all doomed, guys. That, that's the end. Let's shut the book of Romans. Uh, then we'd be like, oh, you know. But that's not the end. The passage that we just read says, but now. And I don't know what it is that you're struggling with this morning. Like, what the zombies are that are coming after you that you feel like, am I going to survive this? And you're running from them and you're fighting them and maybe you're like giving up the will to fight them. Could be sin in some form, some addiction that you're going through, death, depression, loneliness, oppression, uh, disease, people. Like that, that's, that's one of the things about The Walking Dead. If the dead don't get you, the people will. Like the people. And sometimes um, people try to encourage other people when you're in the midst of that dark time, by saying, God's love is unconditional. And you're like, uh, 
kind of like, oh, gee, thanks. Like, God has to love me, right? <laughs> it's unconditional. But I want you to see this morning that there's even, there's better news than that. That God's love is better than unconditional. And how is it that God's love is better than unconditional? Here's a big theological word that if you're taking notes, you can write right across where, that, where those questions are, right on the top there. Justification. This morning we're looking at justification. What is it? How does it work? What difference does it make? What is it? You might say it's the opposite of condemnation. That's a short answer. Um, a group of smart theologians in the 1600s wrote something called the Westminster Confession of, of Faith, and they wrote a little catechism to go with it, and some of you are familiar with that. But justification is an act of God's free grace, says question 33 of that catechism, by which he does two things. He pardons our, all our sins, and he accepts us as righteous in his sight. And he does this only because he considers the righteousness of Christ ours, and justification is received by faith alone. Now, I know for some of you, like, you, you grew up with the Westminster Confession of Faith, and you're here because this church uh, quotes the Westminster Confession of Faith and teaches that way. And so you know a lot of these big terms. But there's others of you that are like, what, righteousness? Like, what, what are we talking about, righteous? Well, you know, when you have, like, an argument with someone, and then, and then later on, maybe the next day, you come back and you say, are we okay? You're saying, are we, are we righteous? Is everything right between us? And justification is God's free grace where he pardons our sins. In other words, he forgives us. This is legal language. In a courtroom, he says, charges are all dropped. Your sin is pardoned. And also, secondly, I see you as you and me have everything okay. Because it's the truth in God's law and in this world, the way this world works, the law in general. It's the truth that sin always incurs a debt. Um, I grew up in South Carolina. Yes? Is there anybody? <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, folks. <laughs> That's a call and response, you know. <laughs> In South Carolina, almost everything is legal when it comes to fireworks, okay? If you're driving south towards Florida, you know that you've crossed the border in South Carolina because you'll see these giant buildings with huge letters so you don't miss it that just say fireworks, fireworks over and over. And people are pouring across the border and getting the good stuff and then headed back to North Carolina. So I grew up with fireworks. That was a thing. Um, and one uh, holiday, our family was shooting fireworks when my brother and I got the idea to start a Bottle, I think they started it because they, they threw something our direction. But we were going to start a bottle rocket war with our neighbors, the Matthews. 
And so uh, my brother and me, we, we kind of crouched down and we would light a bottle rocket. This is what you never do. And, uh, and we would throw it and try to shoot it so that it would, it would hit the person, you know. <laughs> We were, you know, we were, we were young. What, what do you expect? Like, mom and dad were inside. <laughs> so um, what happened was th- at that, that thing started getting old, and my brother pulled out one of those Roman candles that fires the, the big balls of colored balls up in the air, and he starts firing those uh, across the road. Well, next to the Matthews house is Mr. Josie's house. Uh, and, and Mr. Josie has a grapevine. <laughs> and one of those little fireballs like hits the hay in that grapevine or the straw and ignites the thing. And soon the whole grapevine is consumed. Like that fire got out of hand like so quickly. And it was across the street and one of the guys we were with worked for the volunteer fire department. And so he calls and radios in the fire department. They come up and they spray the fire out. But Mr. Josie's grapevine is gone. And he never came outside. And we never went over to talk to him. Like, it was just like, this is all the stuff that you don't do. Like, we're like, you can see we're racking up debt through our sin. But one of the biggest debts is that Mr. Mr. Josie had a grapevine that bore grapes, and now it was gone. So he walked out of his door and into the yard and saw that his grapevine is missing because a fire has destroyed it, right? Later on, much later, my brother and I are both pastors, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my brother, can, under conviction, uh, goes to Mr. Josie's door and knocks on the door and says, remember that grapevine that burned up? He said, that was me. And um, he's like, you're the one that did that? He's like, yes, that was me. And he said, and I want to pay for it. And he said, you're forgiven. Like, don't worry about it. Thank you for telling me. So when he said you've forgiven, that didn't erase the debt. That that didn't make the debt go away. That made Mr. Josie absorb that debt. Like he absorbed the cost of our sin and took that upon himself. But the picture of absorption is even greater in this passage when when we consider sin. It would have been as if Mr. Josie takes my brother and I to small claims court to sue for the grapevine, and there's a discussion, and we plead guilty to what we did. And then the judge says, you know what? I'm going to pardon you. I'm not going to sentence you. And I'm going to take off my judge's robe and put on my gardening gloves and go to your house and replant that grapevine and put the straw back, and it will be as if it never happened. That is the picture of God, our judge. We sit in the dock. We sit in the courtroom condemned. We plead guilty, and he does two things in justification. 
pardons our sin and says, I will take care of the debt. I will work righteousness with my own arm, Isaiah 59 says. How does that work? How do we get this justification? Number one, we receive it by faith. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now there's an important word there. In Jesus Christ. As I know some of you, you're like, I struggle with my faith. I have faith, but I'm not really sure. Maybe my faith isn't isn't strong enough. Well, there's good news. You're not saved. You're not justified. You're not made right with God. Your sins are not pardoned because of your faith and the quality of your faith. Your sins are pardoned because of Jesus, who is the object of our faith. Through Jesus Christ, the key saving word is the work of Jesus Christ that's done on our behalf. Number two, justification comes to us by grace. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, one acronym I learned, I I don't really like acronyms, but I think this is a good one. You know, I think a lot of Presbyterian ministers are like, we don't like acronyms, you know, but... um, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, Bono from U2 in an interview talked about grace and the difference between grace and karma. Listen to what this quote says. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. At the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, the physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. Love interrupts, if you'd like. The consequences of your action, which in, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff, right? Some of us, our hearts resonate with, with the Bono there. So justification comes through faith by grace, and it's centered on Jesus. It's Jesus who saves. How does Jesus save us? He saves us. There's two big words that are mentioned here. This, you're going to learn all these theology words today, hopefully. One is redemption. That's not too big. And that's a picture that comes from the ancient slave market. And those, uh, like our black brothers and sisters who have been oppressed in that way, like looked at the book of Exodus and began to see the Exodus story as their story, as they were following Jesus. That was their story. And the Exodus story 
is the story of all of God's people because it's a story of redemption. It's a story of being bought back, being brought back from bondage, brought back from slavery. And God saves us in that way. And there's only, but there's only one way he could do it. It's the way he did it in Exodus. Remember the words, this next word, this is a big one, propitiation. And if you think about the angel of death in the Exodus story, was visiting homes, right? And was killing the firstborn in every home. God's wrath. God's propitiate, they, they were propitiation, like to, to satisfy, to appease an angry God, a wrathful God. And that's happening in the books of Exodus. But he lovingly tells his people, put blood on the doorposts so that when the angel comes by, you won't be struck down. Why is that? Because all the Egyptians... And God's people are equally under sin. (laughs) That's the reason there's no boasting. That boasting is excluded because we're all under the same sins. There's absolutely no reason that we should look at anyone else, our neighbor or anyone in our society, and say, I'm better than that person. The only way that we receive pardon is that the blood of Jesus is applied to our hearts. And to our life. That's how God's wrath is passed over us. And he receives us with grace. John Murray said, He lived the life I should have lived. And he died the death I should have died. So acceptance before God is not, I have to have my quiet time every day. I have to care about social justice. I'm not doing enough, right? Those things are not things that earn acceptance before God. It's Jesus. God's wrath was propitiated and Jesus on the cross was satisfied in our place. So what difference does that make? A big one that I want to encourage you with is Jesus loves failures. Jesus loves those who do poorly. You know the great show, uh, Beauty and the Beast, the book, the movie, the other movie. The the big thing about Beauty and the Beast, G.K. Chesterton said, there's a great lesson in Beauty and the Beast. That a thing must be loved in order for it to be lovely. God loves us, every bit of us, not just our nicer and our sweeter side. And that is the source of loveliness. That is the source of being okay with God. That is what will help us get out of bed in the morning when we feel like we can't. Um, Beauty and the Beast was written as a French play, and excuse my French, but amour, pour amour, love for love. It's love for love. It's not work for love. And then that brings humility. 
What makes me better than anyone else? What if Christ the King, as you move into your new building, which is exciting, I can't believe you can just watch the construction online. What if Christ the King, that new building, everybody starts whispering, that is a place that is a hospital for sinners. That's a place where sinners can go. John Sartell, who pastored in Memphis for many years, he said there's only two organizations in town that you have to be bad to get into. Number one, it's the church. And number two, it's the mafia, right? (laughs) That's what we're saying, that we are needy sinners in need of God's grace. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for arrogance. But so many times, Christians are known as insecure people. Look at this quote in the, the front of your uh, handout from Richard Lovelace. It says, Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Those of you that are skeptics and you're like, they're just insecure, like, and, and I don't know if I want to be a part of that. There's a reason that we're saying, that Lovelace is saying here. They're much less secure than non-Christians because of the constant bulletins that they receive from their Christian environment about the holiness of God and the righteousness that they are supposed to have. So what's, what's the cure for that insecurity? An assurance of God's love. If I ask the question, where is your righteousness? If I ask the question of you on your worst day, where is your righteousness? You're tempted to say, I don't have any, right? But if you get the gospel, you know that your righteousness is the one who cried out, it is finished. And the one who came and after he did that perfect work, sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so your righteousness is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And your righteousness is right there in heaven. And you know what? The good news is, it's given to you through faith. It's given to you. God loves you. God accepts you apart from your spiritual achievements. God's love is better than unconditional because God has to be just and he remains just because of Jesus. He unleashes that justice and he's the justifier, that grace that we see at the cross of those who have faith in Jesus. God's love is better than unconditional Because every condition of that love is met by God himself. Let's pray. Father, um, we are so amazed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we can be a part of 
the only religion in the world where God propitiates himself. Where Jesus' blood has shed once and for all so that there is no more bloodshed for our love and for our acceptance. I pray for those who are struggling this morning or for those who are considering Christianity. I pray that they would embrace Jesus for the first time and begin to taste of that goodness and that righteousness in Christ. I thank you that your love is better than unconditional because you met every requirement for it. You planned it. You execute it. You apply it to our hearts. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name.